It's good gathering with you this morning. I appreciate the pastors giving me the opportunity to come and bring the word this morning. Um, I'm a bit intimidated. Um, the last few times I've preached uh, for Rockport, it's been down at family camp, and there's just uh, a different feel down there. Y'all are family, but y'all are intimidating. Because there's a lot of men in this congregation who are very, very confident, very godly men, uh, very gifted. We're we're a blessed congregation. Uh, sitting in Jason's class this morning, I I was struck by that. Um, but uh, but I am grateful uh, to be to be in God's Word. I've needed this message um, so much in my own life. So we're going to be in Colossians. We're going to be looking uh, at chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and really focusing on one very simple subject, Thanksgiving. Let's pray for God's help. Father, I am deeply in need of Your help, and this congregation is deeply in need of in need of your help. Spirit, we need you to move in our hearts this morning and light up these things and cause us to see Jesus really large compared to all the other things that fill our minds and hearts. So I pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says, Therefore, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of those things that's kind of like Exercise. We we all believe in it. The question is, do we do it? Thanksgiving, it's, it's like a parfait. I mean, ain't nobody say, hey, you want a parfait? And they're like, no, I don't like parfaits. Nobody's going to say, no, I don't like Thanksgiving. Abounding in Thanksgiving. As I've... I've stewed because Colossians has been something that I've been working on, on memorizing. And so as these words roll over in my head, abounding in thanksgiving, and then I look at my life, and I see a lot of grumbling, and I see a lot of murmuring, and I see a lot of anxiety, and I don't see much thanksgiving all the time. How about you? Could you be described as abounding in Thanksgiving, one of the things I've noticed about myself is I actually I can be a really thankful, happy person when everything is going perfectly according to my plan. Maybe you're the same. But then work or schoolwork picks up and you feel stressed. Your dad or mom's rules, kids, seem unfair and restrictive. And you feel mad. Friends let you down and you feel lonely. Your attempts at parenting are met with complaining and bickering and you're frustrated. And you can't help looking down on that sister at church or that brother ever since you heard them make that comment. 
In the pressures of life and relationships, thanksgiving can be hard to come by. It feels like all that we can do just to keep our head above water with mere obedience. And we feel like we're doing pretty good if we nail that. Abounding in thanksgiving, that sounds nice, but a little unattainable, a little unrealistic. Maybe for the super-Christians out there. As I have soaked in this passage and in Colossians, however, I've been convicted and convinced that thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving, is not reserved for the super-Christians. It's not reserved for the optimists. It's not reserved for the overachievers. It is for each and every one of us. It's a call to all believers for us to be abounding in thanksgiving. This isn't bonus level. It's not a call for the particularly mature. It's the particular way that God is going to make each one of us mature. We need this. We want this. We want more than a life filled with grumbling, a life filled with anxiety. We want the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And we need this. We need to be filled and overflowing with thanksgiving. In many respects, the proportion to which we are a frustrated people, an angry people, a discontented people, and a divided people is the proportion in which we are weak in thanksgiving. Thankfully, God is not leaving us there. This morning He has a word for us, a reminder from His Word that thanksgiving is what He is working in us because His plan is to make us mature in Christ and His plan is worked out in thankfulness which is both the mark and the method of Christian maturity. If you're taking notes and you want to put down points, those are our big things. First, abundant thanksgiving is the mark of Christian maturity. Now, of course, we don't mean it's the only mark. There are other things you need to be mature than a jovial demeanor. But could we all agree that the church could benefit from more some, some more jolly believers? I mean, I know that's what I want. That's what my kids want. That's what I want for them. Is to see, for them to see a dad who is happy in Jesus. A grumpy Christian is a terrible witness. How often do we walk around as if the weight of the world were on our shoulders when we, of all people, should know that there is somebody else who's in charge of keeping the world on track? There's someone else who is earnestly and unstoppably committed to building His church and making her beautiful and spotless. That's not on us. There's somebody else watching out for the sparrows and the lilies and you and me. This somebody says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's Matthew 11. What light burden is He giving you? 
He's telling you, give him thanks. Give me thanks. This is the entry point for the gospel. This is one of the first things we learn in Psalm 50. People, people very much like us, Christian kids that have grown up in the church very much like you, and we think we can bring something to God that will please Him. Something maybe that will allow us to negotiate for something that we want. And in Psalm 50, God says, I don't need anything. I don't need you. Psalm 50, let's put there and, and, and reference that really quick. Psalm 50, God says, do I eat the flesh of bulls and goats? No. So God says, here's how it's going to work. I don't need anything from you, so here's the game plan. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So when we come to Jesus, one of the first lessons we learn is that we don't bring anything but a heart filled with thanksgiving. You know what we're not doing when we're giving thanks? We're not grumbling. And God says that's a big deal. A grumble-free life of thanksgiving is like throwing up a billboard for the gospel. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 tells us not to be grumbling. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You want to shine as a light in the world? Quit grumbling. It's so simple. And because it's simple, we want to be like, that's for the, that's for the kids. We teach that in, in Sunday school. But we're grown-ups. We, we learn theology and very important stuff. Can we agree to quit being more spiritual than the Bible? Thankfulness is not the mark of spiritual naivety. It's the mark of spiritual maturity. To see this really quickly, let's look at two things. First, we have an exhortation to maturity in our passage. And then we have an example of maturity in the broader context. So the exhortation to maturity in this passage... Therefore, we're back in Colossians chapter 2, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He starts out with therefore. Pointed backwards to the thing, to his his flow, his argument, everything Paul's been saying, and what has Paul been doing? Well, Paul has been getting really worked up, really excited because he's telling the Colossians about what he's doing, what God's using him to do, and what God's doing through him in the church, and and he says he kind of gives his mission statement. In verse 28, first he says what he does. Him we proclaim, we're talking about Jesus. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why are you doing that, Paul? 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Wow, okay. He says, so this is like a a part-time gig for you? For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. So Paul is really committed to this. This is big for him. Paul's mission is everyone mature in Christ. And this is true for every Christian ministry. This is your pastor's hearts. That you would be mature in Christ. Kids, your parents want a whole lot for you. They've probably got a whole list of things they'd love to see. They probably include grandkids. But, but at the top of that list is they want to see you. We want to see you mature in Christ. So what does that look like? Well, we're tempted to think that that's going to mean a lot of new ideas. That we're going to make you really smart Christians. Mature in Christ here looks like we're going to be rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Paul uses four participles, four verbs that just tell us how he's going to make us mature in Christ. What maturity will look like. Interestingly, three of the verbs are passive. To kind of expand this a little from the Greek, having been rooted in Him and being built up in Him, kind of a a builder's term, and being established or confirmed or strengthened, those are all ways we translate this word throughout the rest of the New Testament, in the faith, just as you were taught. These are all things done to you. And then you're told and abounding in thanksgiving. That one's active. Essentially, what we have here in these verses is don't move and be thankful. Don't move. We have so much activity, so much thinking that we've got to do things, that we've got to make things happen, so much movement, and God wants to say, don't move. He's the one that did the work. It says in chapter 1, He took you from the kingdom of Satan. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then He says, stay put. Don't move. Or in chapter 2, it says, And you... We're dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh and God made you alive together. Took you from the grave and He brought you out of the grave and He says, now don't move. There are so many things that promise to help us upgrade our faith. That help, promise to help us level up our spirituality and become mature. But rarely, I mean, these things, they promise, but they don't deliver. And they get us moving rather than staying put in the faith in Jesus that we knew when we started. And often, these teachings do not deny Christ. 
or the gospel. They just make other things bigger for us and more important. They distract us. The danger in Colossae and in our hearts is often not denial, but distraction, displacement. Other things take up the space that we would otherwise have in our hearts celebrating Christ. We don't reject Christ. We drift from Him towards other things. So Paul says, don't move. What do I do then? Be thankful. Abound in thanksgiving. Be thankful because He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Be grateful, be thankful, because by canceling the record, He forgave us all our trespasses. Chapter 2, verse 13. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Gone. Be thankful, because chapter 3, you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. Be thankful because He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Be thankful because all the things that are causing you anxiety this week are already being handled by your Father. Don't worry like the Gentiles do. Your Heavenly Father knows you need all those things. Be thankful because if you are in Christ, Jeremiah 29.11 is not taken out of context. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for harm. If you are trusting in Jesus, God has a good plan for your life. One He has mapped out specifically for you to know Him and to be shaped like Him. And if that means that you have a well-paying job, give thanks. And if that means your job isn't great and money's tight, but God continues to keep your family fed, give thanks. And if that means that you have robust health, give thanks. And if that means you cry out to God multiple times, take this thorn from you, me, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. Give thanks. And if that means that God's good plan is that you welcome your tenth baby into the world, give thanks. And if that means that even though you want to have a baby, you haven't been able to have a baby, but Jesus is there with special promises in this season, then give thanks. Friends, being established in the faith is not just about learning new things. A lot of theology or a lot of apologetics so you can beat everybody. In the context of Colossians, being established in the faith means being happy with the way God runs things. Bowing to His standards, accepting His salvation as He brings it, embracing His priorities... The reason thankfulness is such a fitting mark of maturity is because thankfulness is the joyful embrace of God's plan and priorities for our life. 
we, we get into the, the, the trap of thinking that Christian maturity is all about accumulating ideas, accumulating tr- truths like a kid on a beach picking up seashells. I got a lot of seashells. I got a lot of truth. So, so then a good sermon is one on an unfamiliar passage. A good Sunday school is one where you learn things you've never heard before. A good Christian, a mature believer, is someone who knows a lot of things. But growth in grace is less like collecting seashells and more like drawing a picture. See, I can know some facts, and I have to know some facts in order to draw a portrait. I'm going to need to, if I'm going to draw a face, I need to know there's two eyes. Kids, some of you are drawing right now. Listen up. If you're drawing a face, you probably should have two eyes and maybe a nose and a mouth. But whether it's a good picture or a bad picture is all about proportion and placement. Kids, if I put the ears up here on the top of the head, it's not a good picture of a face. Well, we can know facts like there are ears. We can know facts about Jesus. We can know facts about the Bible. But God uses instructions about thanksgiving to make sure that our proportion is right. Because He's not just filling our minds. We're not just the artist learning how to draw. We are the canvas. And He's shaping us into the image of our Creator. And this is why we need repeated calls to habits and behaviors and mindsets because we drift. And we end up falling into patterns of anxiety and we fall into patterns of grumbling and these teach our hearts that God is not good. Oh, we would never say that because we know the truth that God is good. But in our day-to-day, we don't really feel it. Uh, Understanding that God's using all these truths, that doctrine is really bigger than just ideas... Did you? I mean, do you, do you know that doctrine is bigger than ideas? It, Titus, Paul tells Titus, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. What does he then go on to say? Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves. Gosh, Paul, that's a lot of instruction about what they're supposed to be and do and how their behavior is supposed to be. Yes, that's. Doctrine. And God uses all sorts of doctrine to shape us. And He repeats, He gives us reminders and rep- repeats Himself because that this, is, this is how He makes sure that we get proportion right. And this, honestly, this, this will help your Bible reading because if, if it's all about getting new ideas, after you've been through a couple times, you have a law of diminishing returns. You know a lot of the stuff. And you'll pick up little snippets. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but, but if we are understanding that Jesus is using His Word again and again and again to shape us with His priorities like thankfulness, then the more we loop through His Word, the more we're shaped into the image of Christ. This also helps us be able to benefit from a wide range of Christian brothers and sisters. If maturity is all about new concepts, then we can only grow from 
listening to people who are, are sharper than us, more well-educated than us, who have a more precise grasp of theology than we do. But if God is using His Word through reminders to shape us into the image of Christ, then we can benefit from the youngest believer. We can benefit from that brother or sister who's kind of whack but loves Jesus. Who gets some big things wrong and is even dangerous in some areas. And God can still use them, if they are a Christian, to work Jesus in you. Alright, let's move on. We've got the exhortation to maturity in Christ. We've got the example of maturity in Christ. We actually have two. We have both Paul and Epaphras. But just looking briefly at Paul, we mentioned earlier that Paul seemed to have this fire. Like his mission, everyone mature in Christ. Wow, that's a pretty ambitious goal. That's a big goal. Or look at his ambition in Romans 15.20. I make it my aim to preach the Gospel, not where Christ has been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul made it a point to specialize in uncharted territories. That's pretty ambitious. That's an ambitious guy. And one of the things you should know about ambitious guys or ladies is that we are not happy with the way things are. Some of you all have a whole lot of hukuna matata. You have no idea what we're talking about. But ambition is dissatisfaction with a plan. Dissatisfaction plus a plan. So the ambition says some people haven't heard the gospel. That's not okay. And the plan says I'm going to go take them the gospel. And the problem is there's tension here with thanksgiving. There's a struggle in our hearts because the dissatisfaction is in tension in our hearts with thanksgiving. The dissatisfaction says, this is not okay. The thanksgiving says, this is, praise God, this is beautiful. And so what do we do there? Like Paul, help us out here. And the plan says, I'm going to make something happen. But we were just saying, God's telling us, don't move. So, so which one is it? The tension makes it all the more striking for Paul, this very ambitious guy, to open up the letter to the Colossians with this, these comments in chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints. Now, some of us, kids, many of you, I don't know everybody here, actually. Many of you have really great parents. So you, you're really thankful for them, right? All the time. Yeah. Um, some of you maybe are in the situation where you have like some distant benefactor who like at Christmas time uh, sends uh, presents, and you are probably thankful for, for that person. Few of us get real worked up and thankful for strangers. But Paul didn't know the Colossians. He says later on, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. He never met them face to face. But he is so excited. So Because even though Paul's a really busy guy, a really ambitious guy, he knows the value of thanksgiving. 
This is his way of diversifying his joy portfolio. Okay? Most of us have a joy portfolio that's like the size of our house. Um, and the stuff we have in it and the family we have it. Paul's diversified his joy portfolio. He's thinking about what God's doing in Colossae and he is so filled with joy over that. And, and that's what I want for my own life as well. I, I just I want to spend more time turned outward from myself and my problems and my struggles to look at what God is doing. What He's doing broadly. And, 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 and so for Paul, this is not wasted time. He, he wants to see things get done. He's an ambitious guy. And Thanksgiving is never wasted time. Not any more than a pit stop is wasted time for the race car driver. He pulls off. He gets new tires. Maybe they give him some gas, whatever. Like That's not wasted time because it's what he needs to finish the race. What do you and I need to finish the race like Paul? We need more Thanksgiving. I mentioned, I don't have time to, to touch on Epaphras. I, I mentioned him in my sermon at family camp briefly. Um, he's a beautiful character in chapter 1 who is also filled with thanksgiving. But, but let's quickly look at this second point that abundant thanksgiving is not only the mark of Christian maturity, it's the method of Christian maturity. It's the key, it's, or it's one of the keys to how God makes us mature in in Christ. How He makes us look like Jesus. We have the exhortation in our passage. We have the examples of Paul and Epaphras. In chapter 1, verse 12, thanksgiving is the backbone of Christian endurance. In chapter 3, as Paul describes putting on the new self, creating in Christ's image, Thanksgiving keeps popping up. It seems to be mentioned at every turn. Let's look at this. Um, chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul gives thanksgiving, thankfulness, so much prominence in Colossians because he's concerned that we not drift from Jesus. How do you stop drift? With an anchor. We were on the lake last last summer and we found a little island, uh, very very small island, just a little bit of just a little spit of sand. And we're playing and we turn around and the boat's like thirty yards off. Um, we had put down the anchor, but it wasn't working. No, but we need an anchor, and our anchor is Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving anchors us, it, 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 it keeps us close to Jesus because when you're thanking God for His goodness in Christ, that keeps you close to Christ, focused on Christ. And that's where you're built up in Christ. But thankfulness doesn't just fix our eyes on Jesus. It fixes our view of the world. It fixes our view of our circumstances and our obedience. And it fixes our 
our view of each other. There's a cynic in some of us that has his arms crossed and he's leaning back and he's got a look on his face. There's a cynic in some of us that's concerned when there's too much celebration. We are afraid that too much Thanksgiving is dishonest because the world is a tough place. Pollyanna is a fraud. Our mantra is rose-colored glasses are a lie, life's tough and then you die. That's it. In fact, I think Thanksgiving is more honest in our cynicism. Thanksgiving is honest about our limitations. Thanksgiving admits that we are limited people with limited minds, limited time, limited energy, and limited understanding or perception. We don't catch everything, no matter how intelligent we think we are. We have this much processing power up here. That's about it. We can run one one program at a time. And at any moment, we are making a choice about what we're going to focus on. Am I going to complain because dinner is not what I want? Or am I going to be thankful that I have dinner? Because some people don't. In preparation of this sermon, there's been a number of things where I've reminded my kids that they are not Jewish children in the Holocaust and they are not little black children during the Reconstruction when there was so much oppression. There is a choice. Which one are we going to focus on? What we would change... Or what God has given us that is so good. At any moment, we're making the choice to focus on anxiety, or grumbling, or thankfulness. Anxiety will tell me the financial instability in the market is huge and could just destroy my life. Thankfulness reminds me that God's in control and He's provided for my family again and again. Irritability tells me that the minutes wasted managing my kids' squabbles, those are lost forever. (laughs) Thankfulness reminds me that I have all the time I need to get all the things done that God wants me to get done. And it makes me grateful for those squabbling kids. This perspective adjustment can touch so many areas. We're running out of time, but you may have noticed that in several places places in Colossians, thanksgiving is added into other commands. And that's because it's it's the complement or companion to virtues like endurance and peacefulness and discipleship. It is what gives... We, we hear compliment and we're like, well, it seems like Paul's the, the Starbucks barista and he's just like, oh, and we'll put a little whipped cream thankfulness on that and we'll put a little whipped cream thankfulness on that and we'll put a little... That, thankfulness is not an addition like that. Thankfulness is more like the, the, the fuel that you put in your car and also in your lawnmower and also in your, uh, your um, chainsaw. Thankfulness is is the it gives us the energy to carry out these these other things that God has called us to. Someone has said that a man makes a house, a woman makes a home. We can say the same thing about Thanksgiving. It fills these other virtues with warmth and health. Mere Christian duties gives you bread and water. 
But thankfulness brings out a thick, rich, hot stew on a cold day. If the joy of the Lord is our strength, then we are fools to think that thankfulness is just decorative. Wow. Um, The one thing... I'm not going to keep us much longer, but one of the things I really want to see is the way this impacts our lives together. The way that thankfulness can transform, for instance, the, um, the harmony that we are to have. Colossians 3, verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Without the command to thankfulness, we might think, we satisfy the call to peace by maintaining a respectable ceasefire in areas of disagreement. But that and, and be thankful transforms it. It means I'm called not merely to tolerate you, but to celebrate and appreciate you. I'm not merely called to tolerate and put up with the brother I disagree with, but to Notice how God is working in him and to praise God for the salvation that He has worked in him. In fact, the imbalances of your brother... Remember, we are not only limited in time and in energy, but we're limited in perception. It's possible that the imbalances of your brother are the balance to your own imbalances. So give thanks. That God has given you a family, a church. That His plan for you is bigger than you. It is joining you to a people where together... What is Paul's hope, his effort going towards in chapter 2, verse 2? That their hearts, your hearts, may be encouraged. How is that going to happen? By being knit together in love. And what will that accomplish? To reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And that is something to be thankful for. We're limited creatures. We've only got so much time. The question is, in this week, are you going to first try to get everything fixed so that you can give God thanks? Or are you going to prioritize thankfulness because God said to and, and, and the, the wonderful thing is when we walk in obedience to Jesus, there's an overflow. And the overflow is thankfulness is a really happy place to live. Um, thankfulness focuses us on, on the so many good things rather than all the things that we are intent on changing. And, and, and so there's, uh, there's a lot more that we can... Uh, explore in the topic of thankfulness in the topic er, in the in the immediate context of this verse. Um, but the the thing that I'm I've just been wrestling with is, is as a limited human, um, as someone who's got a limited mind, who's got limited time, am I going to hear? the call to be abounding in thanksgiving and make that a priority in my life. Uh, When when we give uh, our kids a task, sometimes sometimes it's a very simple task and they think, oh, that's easy to do. 
and then it never gets done. You circle back around in an hour, and, and, and you're like, well, it, we were going to get to it. Um, and, and so often there's things like that. Well, thankfulness is one of those things. Um, and so uh, the, it just as we go into this week, um, I hope with me that you will uh, make a commitment to hearing God's voice, to seeing God's call to maturity, and to resolving to living in a uh, to, to live in a place of thankfulness. Let's pray, Father. Pray that you would own your word as you've delivered it in Colossians to us and that you would work in us, Spirit, as you are committed to filling us with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. You would fill each of these with the beautiful energy of thankfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.